Backwards and forwards. Happy New Year. Yes, it is the 1st of January 2016. Already. Hello, this is Anthony Day. The big sustainability story is the floods in the north, but that's still going on, so I'll leave it until next week. This time I look backwards at the 50 or so episodes which I've published this year, and I remind you of the topics covered and the experts that I interviewed. I'll share their views of the future as well. This time last year I invited your prediction of the oil price. My guess was $65 a barrel. On the 30th of December it's trading around $37 a barrel. Nobody else got close. Any offers for the oil price on the 1st of January 2017? I'm not committing myself. Thank you all for listening to the Sustainable Futures Report. I got the second highest level of hits this year on Christmas Day. More exciting than Christmas TV? More important, certainly. Well, what did I cover in 2015? You can find it all at susbiz.biz, that's S-U-S-B-I-Z dot B-I-Z, where you can access the episodes by month or use the keyword search. It's all on iTunes as well. And all this without advertising, well, not paid advertising, sponsorship or subsidy. In January, we looked forward, not surprising. I talked about planning and the green supply chain process. Energy came up and was a recurring theme throughout the year. The World Economic Forum met in Davos and discussed climate change. Al Gore made a presentation. The year continued with GM foods, fracking, the circular economy, events, skills, recycling and bioscience. To most people's surprise, we had a new government in the UK, which led to new budgets, a new minister at DEC, and a new and hostile approach to renewables. We heard about sustainability in education from Harriet Ennis of Bootham School and Kat Luckock of Solutions for the Planet. There was more on fracking and rumours that DEC would be abolished, though probably not before the Paris conference. An interview with James McKeamy of Podpoint, that's pod-point.com, brought us up to date on electric cars. And President Obama made an announcement. And today we're here to announce America's clean power plant. A plan two years in the making and the single most important step America has ever taken in the fight against global climate change. But I am convinced that no challenge poses a greater threat to our future and future generations than a changing climate. This is one of those rare issues because of its magnitude, because of its scope that if we don't get it right, we may not be able to reverse. Later in the year, the VW emissions scandal broke, and more surprises as Jeremy Corbyn took over the Labour Party and climate change denier Tony Abbott was ousted as Australian Prime Minister. 
Not that that changed Australian government policy very much. The Royal Academy of Engineering cast doubts on the UK's energy policy. George Osborne was busy offering the Chinese financial incentives to build us some new nuclear power stations, but they wouldn't be ready until 2025 at the earliest. And the Academy reported that fracking was unlikely to yield anything until 2030, and even then, not very much. Meanwhile, in the warmest November on record, the National Grid issued a notification of inadequate system margin, an NISM, as a result of multiple energy plant breakdowns and very low levels of wind power due to calm conditions. Major consumers were requested to turn things off to secure supplies. Short-term electricity prices spiked to £2,500 per megawatt hour, about 50 times the normal rate. Towards the end of the year, we looked at geothermal energy, the prospects for plugging into Iceland, and December was dominated by COP21, the United Nations Climate Conference in Paris. In last week's episode, I carried first-hand reports from Kit Bennett and Richard Lane. Experts sharing their ideas and knowledge during the year included Jacqueline Kitson and Andy Weil from BEST, a network of businesses committed to sustainable best practice who appeared in February. You can find more at telfordbest.co.uk, which is T-E-L-F-O-R-D-B-E-S-S-T In March, Harold Vandenberg of Critical Processes Limited explained how his company used new techniques to recover and recycle materials which would previously be sent to landfill. That's criticalprocesses.com. Maggie Smallwood of BioVale explained how they were promoting the bioeconomy. In 2016, she says, Yorkshire and the Humber will become increasingly central to the UK's developing bioeconomy, with a leading role to play in the Northern Powerhouse's efforts in this sector, and active connections across Europe via the new 3BI bioeconomy intercluster. That's 3bi-intercluster.org, 3bi-intercluster.org. Tim Balkan is a CEO of IEMA, that's the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment, and he spoke about skills and about the Perfect Storm report issued by the Institute. IEMA is the biggest professional body for environmental and sustainability professionals in the world, with 15,000 members worldwide who are, quote, better qualified than anybody to tell world leaders what to do to fulfil their COP21 commitments. He says, we will be writing to the leaders after COP21 to explain our position and offer our collective help to support their commitments. And should there be a need to go further, they can rely on us to talk, turn the talk into an action plan. More at IEMA.net. That's I-E-M-A dot net. Sustainable events started with the London 2012 Olympics. I interviewed Fiona Pelham, who was heavily involved in the organisation and in the development of the Sustainable Events Standard. What we hope to see happen in 2016, she said, 
is more people to be creating business culture that consider sustainability. In other words, more people implementing ISO 2012-1 and definitely more people measuring and sharing their learning and their best practices and stories. The work that we do at Positive Impact, for example, our monthly theme focus on different areas, is all about giving people more ideas, more resources to learn and to create a sustainable event industry. Implementing the ISO 2012-1 is not a difficult thing, and at Positive Impact we are experts in helping organisations on their journeys in sustainability. We've tailored some specific programmes, as for example, Everything You Need to Know About Sustainability, Everything You Need to Implement ISO 2012-1, and we've also developed a series of four open half-day workshops that will take companies through the steps of implementing ISO 2012-1. For more information about the programmes, I would highly recommend to contact us or visit our website, www.positiveimpact.com. Daniel White spoke about heat pumps in July. It wasn't a very good summer. In December, he told me, with COP21 still going on, and Miss Rudd, that's the minister, in attendance, we all still await clarity on the UK's strategy for low-carbon heat. Will the renewable heat incentives still look the same by the end of 2016? Unlikely, but we will all have to wait and see if DEC can focus on heat long enough to deliver a new policy. Find Daniel at globalenergysystems.co.uk. That's globalenergysystems.co.uk. I spoke to James Spencer of Portland Fuel, portland-fuel.co.uk, about oil in September and caught up with him again in late November. Hi, Anthony, he said, in Canada at the moment, minus 17 in Edmonton where the election of the youthful PM Trudeau has generated a clear level of excitement on an environmental level. He's made it one of his first-term commitments to ensure that Canada will become a world leader in the fight against climate change, a big departure from previous administrations. Meanwhile, however, tens of thousands of jobs are being lost here in Alberta, the heart of Canada's oil and gas region, and the province largely responsible for ensuring Canada did not enter recession or suffer from the financial crisis in 2008-9. So Trudeau has a job on his hands. My message for 2016 would largely be the same as 2015. Real and concrete progress will continue to be made, in the Western world at least, in the reduction of emissions. However, the pace of these changes and improvements will never satisfy the environmental lobby who have the luxury of not being accountable to the electorate. Finally, I spoke to Callum Roberts, Professor of Marine Conservation at the University of York. The sea gets frequently overlooked in conversations on sustainability and climate change, but it is an immensely important element of our ecosystem. It's worth listening to that interview again, or reading his book, Ocean of Life. Gareth Kane of Terra Infirma is a respected sustainability consultant that I interviewed earlier in the year. I asked him too for thoughts on 2016. I've left him till last because he had quite a lot to say. Here it is. The only thing predictable about the future is its unpredictability. 
and the last year has had more than its fair share of unlikely elements. Who could have predicted that the Paris COP21 meeting would not only end in agreement, but raise the bar for action by proposing a limit of 1.5 degrees centigrade in temperature rises? Who could have predicted that oil prices would not only remain low, but fall slightly? Who could have predicted that a surplus of oil would not slow the shift to renewable energy? With this unpredictability in mind, I was planning to predict that the UK government would ease the cuts in solar feed-in tariffs, but they beat me to it as I started to type. I will modify this to make my first prediction. Number one, governments will react incrementally to the Paris Agreement. While I was delighted with the outcome of the Paris talks, I'm not sure we have the political leaders to drive the necessary changes through. Here in the UK, the new single Conservative government, freed from the green instincts of its previous Liberal Democrat partners, has dismantled many of the incentives which were driving a renewables revolution, along with a few which weren't. The opposition Labour Party has lurched to the left and is currently paying lip service to sustainability issues, with its only notable intervention being a rather hazy Eve of Paris pledge by Labour-run city councils to be zero carbon by 2050. I'm not holding out much for a political green champion emerging in 2016. Prediction number two, business will fill the gap. It's an old cliche that politicians follow rather than lead, and I believe business rather than politics will increasingly lead in sustainability in 2016. Every year, another handful of huge corporations make some quite staggering sustainability pledges, and it's an easy prediction to make that A, more will join them, and B, those who have made commitments in the last couple of years will start to come good on them. Prediction number three. Tipping points will be hit. We are already nearing several tipping points in renewable energy, where economies of scale are both bringing the cost of technologies close to grid parity with fossil fuels, driving a virtuous circle of investment and innovation. I predict that records will continue to tumble and that many developing countries will start putting their developed cousins to shame. Biogas will be a big winner in 2016. The other area of fast approaching tipping points is the circular economy, where businesses are starting to find waste is a better source of raw material than mining or drilling. The average electronic circuit board has 800 times more gold than the equivalent weight of ore. Do the maths. Unpredictabilities. As I said in the opening, unpredictability will continue to reign and there are two big what-ifs on the horizon in 2016. The US presidential elections will cast a long shadow over sustainability issues in 2016. If a Republican candidate wins, chances are that the UN may as well rub the signature of the USA off the Paris Agreement. If Donald Trump wins, that could be the least of our worries. Secondly, the oil price continues to fall under reduced demand and overproduction by OPEC. How long it stays low depends as much on the internal politics of Saudi Arabia as anything else. I'm going to stick my neck out and say it will rebound by the end of 2016, but I'm not putting money on it. And Gareth's conclusion? 
In a nutshell, business will respond to Paris more strongly than politicians, who will be happy to take the credit, and economies of scale will bring key elements of a sustainable economy tantalisingly closer. Well, thanks, Gareth. I couldn't have put it better myself. The next Sustainable Futures report will be next Friday. We'll talk about the floods and lessons for sustainability and contingency planning. Till then, enjoy the rest of your holiday. But here's a thought. If you have a commitment to sustainability, to spreading the word both inside and outside your organisation, how about incorporating the Sustainable Futures report into your website? New information and updates every week. Make a New Year's resolution to give me a call on 07803 616 877 and let's talk terms. I'm Anthony Day. A Happy New Year once again. And until next time, bye for now.